At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 470th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who gets serious about the microscopic life in soil. We're talking with David Stark about soil microbes in plant and soil health. Dr. Stark is president of Holganics LLC, where he leads the company's effort to expand its business into agriculture. Interestingly, Dr. Stark spent over 25 years with Monsanto, where he held various senior leadership roles in technology, corporate affairs, and business operations. But I want to invite you not to tune us out, because this is going to be a great conversation. In 2015, he went to work for Holganics which sells a line of 100% natural bio-nutritional products for turf, ornamental, and agricultural use. The product starts with a proprietary process for making and concentrating a diverse mix of over 800 species of beneficial bacteria, fungi, and protozoa. The end product is the result is the most complete mix of organic beneficial microbes on the market. Welcome to the show today, David. Are you ready to rock healthy soil? Absolutely. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? So my path is one that I did not plot, and I'm not sure I could have. I started as a scientist and have a PhD in molecular biology. And if that's not weird enough, I mean, we just stop right there. I happened to do my PhD here in St. Louis at Washington University in a lab that was funded by this little company called Monsanto. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we were doing the early gene cloning work that was done in the 80s, figuring out how do you put a gene into plants? How do you make sure it's safe? How do you make it work? And you know, my PhD dissertation actually is one of those early demonstrations of, of how to do that. Wow. So it was pretty natural. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was phenomenal time and place great experience. So, of course, then went to Monsanto, and uh, because I could put more than two words together that weren't scientific jargon, and it was all new, I rose through the ranks. We were tiny, and this became a big part of the company. So I, I had a vice president role in technology, business development, led a couple different business units. So I had a phenomenal career. Of course, I was there. So I, I know gene engineering firsthand, the technology. I saw a lot of the things that we, we did right and did wrong. Yeah. I just can't explain quickly enough the learning experience I had. And after I retired, which actually turned out to be a great day, my wife's like, what are you doing here? The house is my space. So <laughs> <I started> nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not kidding, <laughs> literally. 
because uh, I was used to just go, 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 traveling around the world because I, I was a global VP and, and such. So that started consulting. And a friend of mine started this new business incubator called the Yield Lab. And he said, hey, Dave, um, this company called Holganics, they're in lawn and landscape. They want to get into agriculture. I think they should get into produce. And my last job was helping with our vegetable seed business. Mm-hmm. Would you mentor them? And I said, well, sure. What do they do? And he said, well, they do soil microbes. And I said, no, no, that's snake oil. <laughs> I'm judge. Right? No, it's lousy science. I'm, I'm, even though I've been out of lab a long time, you, you, can't, you can't take the scientist out of you. But because this is a friend of mine. His daughter was friends with my youngest daughter. I said, okay. And I'm glad I said, okay, because I have learned more about soil and microbes and how we can do things better easily. It's just been a a phenomenal experience. Wow. Well, and, you know, I I shared with you before we started recording that I, you know, we're always looking for people to be on our podcast. And I was, I don't even know what search I did on Google, but Holganics came up and I was reading about it. And it's like, wow, this is phenomenal stuff. So that's why I reached out to you. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to have you. So let's talk about healthy soil. Okay, great. What is healthy soil? That's a great question. And it's one, so you may have heard of the Soil Health Institute. It's something that came out of the, the Samuel Noble Foundation and is now kind of a standalone nonprofit. We spent a couple years, and I'm, I'm a member of that, really helping define what healthy soil is. Wow. To me, healthy soil has organic matter, not too much, because if, if you have too much, it holds too much water. Oh, right. It has life. It has to have bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and it needs all of those, not just one. It can't be out of balance. And of course, earthworms and such, because that's what cycles nutrients. That's what builds soil structure. Uh, it can't be compacted, needs to have air penetration, and it's one that retains nutrients. They don't run off. They don't evaporate. You, you know it when you put your shovel into it. Yeah. Well, and when things grow great. Yes. And you know when it's not healthy, when you try to put your shovel into it <laughs> or <laughs> you hurt your foot. <laughs> yeah. Or things don't grow great. Yes. Well, cool. So let's talk about the relationship between plants and soil, because there's, there's a very strong relationship to when there's good health there, you get great plants. When there's not, you don't. Absolutely. In a, in a healthy situation, microbes are so important to the plants that they spend about 30% of all of their photosynthetic energy secreting exudates, basically sugars and food, through their roots to attract, micro- to attract microbes. And that's a huge energy expense. But they do that because the microbes not only help protect the roots from, from different diseases, uh-huh. but they in turn feed the plant. The microbes solubilize a lot of nutrients that are in our soil, but they're in a chemical form the plant root can't access. They also help the plant find water, and a lot of them actually induce deeper, more extensive roots. So it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship, a win-win. Well, and then when that happens, the food tastes better and is more nutrient-dense. Is that not the case? At, absolutely. If, if the plant root can't absorb the nutrients, it's not going to produce an edible portion that we like to eat that is everything it should be. Mm-hmm. And you use the word exudate 
for yeah. our for our listeners that don't know what that is, will you explain it? Yeah, exudate. Because you know, scientists love this stuff. They they make words up because it makes them sound important. <laughs> so, <laughs> exudate basically it's just secreting carbohydrates, sugars, and such that the bacteria and the fungi need to survive. <laughs> because remember, the plant makes the sugar through photosynthesis. But the bacteria and the fungi can't do that, especially when they're in the dark, in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Not the dirt, soil. Big difference. Oh, yes. Um, yes, yeah, so, so the plant is feeding the microbes the sugar that it can make in return for the things like the phosphorus, the, the micronutrients like iron and, and, and calcium and such that the plant has trouble accessing on its own. Mm-hmm. When there's this whole elaborate process that, that happens when you have healthy soil. Can you dig a little deeper, pun intended, into that? Absolutely. So uh, in a healthy soil, we're we're seeing really good nutrient cycling. Let me go to the opposite, something that I didn't realize at at, at Monsanto. And look, listeners probably have all kinds of different views on Monsanto, and I'm not here to defend all the things we did. I can tell you our biggest mistake was probably being naive, Mm -hmm. not I mean, that, that's just it, because there was no blueprint. This is an area we were naive. When we over-apply fertilizers, especially nitrogen, the biochemical feedback is to the plant, hey, you got all the food you need in the root zone. Why are you wasting energy feeding the microbes? So they slow down or stop oh, secreting the food. Uh-huh. So, so what do the microbes do? They don't immediately die. They eat what's there. So what happens to the organic matter in the soil? It goes down year after year, which means the soil becomes less and less able to support plant life. It goes from that that ground that the the shovel slides into to ground that's like bouncing off of asphalt. And we didn't know that, but we have to keep all these things in balance. You've used several different words, microbes, bacteria, uh, fungi, protozoa. What's the difference between them? All of them are needed. Bacteria are the smallest. They are the most abundant in soil. A, a, health, a teaspoon of healthy soil will have the billions, with a B, of individual bacteria, thousands of different species. Their main role is going to be as degraders. So if you're spreading compost, manure, you're doing cover cropping, green manures, whatever, or even if you're using a synthetic fertilizer, they're eating that. That's their food. Mm-hmm. And, and they're helping breaking all of that down into the basic chemicals that a plant root can take up. But we don't want to stop there because if you only have a soil rich in bacteria, bacteria are nitrogen hogs. They have a very high nitrogen requirement. Oh, right. So they can tie it up. And we see this in agriculture, things like yellow corn syndrome, where the guy will say, gosh, I know I put fertilizer out there and my soil test says it's still there, but my corn's yellow, like it's not getting nitrogen. Well, we do things that disrupt the balance. And if you have too many bacteria, they can tie it up. So we want the fungi, which are larger. They eat bacteria, as do protozoa. Fungi also live along the root zone. Some of them, like the mycorrhizae mm-hmm. that uh, you said you use in your trees, which yep. are phenomenal, they're tiny. They're tiny com- even compared to the smallest root hair. So they live on and or in the root, depending on the type, and they can get between soil particles that the root hairs can't. So they solubilize oh. phosphorus. They find water. They make 
the effective surface area of your plant roots anywhere from 100 to 1,000 times larger. Wow, really? Yes. There can be yards of, of mycelia, actually miles in a cubic meter of good dirt. And, and so they're really important. Plus, they keep the bacteria in check, just like the protozoa, amoeba. They're just predators. They eat as, as the bacteria are growing on the things we put on the ground to feed them. Their predators are growing. And the, the great thing about how this was all been designed by God is that the fungi and protozoa are low nitrogen requirers. Oh, so wow. too much nitrogen is toxic. Mm-hmm. All of this happens within a half an inch of a root. So as the bacteria are eating fertilizer, again, whether that's cover crop or whatever it is, and tying up nitrogen, the fungi and the protozoa are growing, eating the bacteria, and they're constantly spitting nitrogen out, and they do it as ammonia and nitrate. And what are the two forms of nitrogen plants like to take up the best? Ammonia and nitrate. So you need the balance in the cycle. Wow. So it seems to me in our conversation, and, and I, I, as I shared with you before we started recording, I, I had a little bit of trepidation about you having worked with uh, Monsanto, but it sounds to me like you have learned a lot coming to work with Holganics about soil health and soil structure, and you've really changed your tune. I have, and it's not that we didn't care about soil. It was that be naive again. Mm-hmm. That, that it was just something that, well, no, just, just put more fertilizer on. Uh, no, no, just things we didn't know. Now that's all changing. So even in the big ag companies, they're starting to realize soil is really important. Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being willing to come on and share your story. This is uh this is awesome. Let's talk about Holganics and how you got started with them, how they got started, and what kind of products they make, you make. Okay, so Holganics was invented by just through trial and error of a, a, an inventor, an individual who uh, was, and I still is, an organic farmer, and he was brewing his own compost teas. And Holganics is very similar to compost tea. But the problem that frustrated him is, first of all, it took a lot of labor to make compost tea. Yes, it, it does. It was dilute. Yeah, so he had to make a lot of it. Batch to batch variability was huge. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and it had no shelf life. You know, you make it and use it or else it goes bad. Yep, yes, so, yes to all the above. I've tried. Yep. <laughs> so he invented a way to make a compost tea that's concentrated, it's stable, and it's the same every time. And as now that we've learned more about the microbes in compost tea versus in the Holganics microbial products, there's some key differences too in terms of the microbes. But we're basically a concentrated, consistent, shelf-stable compost tea. Wow. And how do you make the shelf-stable part happen? Refrigeration. Oh, so your product comes yep. out to us refrigerated. It does. Now, it's not ice cream, so it can be out uh, depending upon the size of the jug uh-huh. for, you know, if it's if it's a gallon jug, several days easily. If it's in, you know, some of my larger ag customers or some of the larger people applying onto turf will buy 250-gallon totes. Those are good for weeks at room temperature. Mm-hmm. You can take it in and out of the refrigerator. The key is the microbes can grow. And that's all right. But when they grow to the point that they use all the oxygen in the liquid, then they go anaerobic, which means most of them die because our compost tea is aerobic. Mm -hmm. The microbes need oxygen. Some will survive without. 
So it's like making beer with the CO2 production. That's okay. We have vented lids. It's not like making beer because it smells like something died. (laughs) Right. Okay. So the product is still okay, but we've lost the biological diversity. So the whole key is keeping oxygen in the mix so that we keep our diversity active. Oh, wow. So is there a shelf life on the product? Refrigerated for at least two years. And we know this, by the way, we know every microbe in the mix because we, we send it out. DNA fingerprinting is the method. I can explain it if, if you really want, but it, it basically it can identify every species that's in the mix. And that technology is now pretty inexpensive and accurate. Mm-hmm. So we know everything in there. Refrigerated, again, at least two years. There's no problem. And what's in your product, generally speaking? Generally speaking, there are going to be over 600 species of various bacteria. They include nitrogen fixers, plant growth promoters, some that solubilize different micronutrients, some that live inside the plant called endophytes, some that live on the plant. Everything you would see in a healthy soil, all needing air, There's over 200 species of fungi, trichoderma, which are good for, they're predators that live along the outside of the root and they eat other microbes. So they eat those that might cause a disease. So organic farmers probably know of trichoderma, penicillium, uh, mycorrhizae, of course, are in there. And then we have uh, different protozoa and amoeba as well. So the whole balance. Wow. And do you just have one product or do you have a series of products? No, actually, thank you for reminding me. We, we make different formulations based on the intended crop. So, and we also make it on 11 different climate zones. So the product that I would use, say, in my lawn or my garden here in St. Louis, Missouri, uh-huh. is different from the one you would use in Phoenix oh, because your soil is different. Right. And that's all invisible to you as a customer. We just know if we're shipping it to this area, you get climate zone, whatever, five. Yep. We also do different formulations. So we have a, a tree and shrub line. And because that ground isn't tilled, it tends to be more fungal dominant. And the type of mycorrhizae is different in a permanent crop like a tree or a shrub versus something that's an annual. So we, we have a different mycorrhizae for trees and shrubs for the, in that product. Versus like the lawn, the golf, or the agriculture, which are pretty broad spectrum in terms of what you can apply them to. Right. Well, and, you know, we're in urban farming, we're mostly talking about vegetables and fruit trees, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, food trees. And I know that the mycorrhiza that we use is specific for, I think there's 16 different varieties in the product that we use for our fruit trees. But it sounds to me like this is a much more complete product. Oh, absolutely, because it'll have over 800 species of everything else that's going to help with nutrient cycling that will help build humic acid or humus in the soil, Mm -hmm. that will build soil aggregation, which you want, because that's that, that we go back to the root exudates with the fungi and bacteria. It acts like a glue to glue soil particles together. And that's where you get the crumbly, aerated soil that water can penetrate. It's all roots and microbes. Wow. That's the key. Yeah. So Bio 800, that's one of your products? That's really the whole, what we call all of our refrigerated products that have all the microbes. And that comes in different flavors, like tree and shrub, lawn, golf, agriculture. I'd say for your listeners, the tree and shrub and the agriculture are the two that would interest them the most. Yeah. So let's just say I had a hundred square foot garden and I wanted to plant 
some fruit trees. So that's two different varieties of the product. How am I buying it? How much am I buying it? How am I applying it? So for something like that, you could probably buy a gallon or you could even get a quart with a hose end sprayer. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is after you dig the hole and you're throwing you know, whatever organic matter in there, spray it down real well because now you're putting the microbes right there when you plant the tree. And we know, I mean, I just cannot overstress the best time to use our product, I don't care what you're planting, is at planting because the survival rate goes way up because the first thing that happens is we induce rooting. Oh, yes. And it's a big difference, mm-hmm. big difference. So, and, and how much would I treat? So I'm planting a, a one inch diameter peach tree that's three feet tall and it's bare mm-hmm. root. How much am I going to use? How much would I apply? Uh, you're going to use maybe an ounce yep. of product. Just and just either, you know, if you want to, if you buy it in the gallon form and you put a splash in your watering can and just put it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To do like a, you know, a, a one to 50 dilution or so yeah. in water and just water it real well. Mm-hmm water real well. And this is, this yeah. is meant for the roots, not as a foliar. No, you actually can do the foliar too. And the foliar, because you've got microbes that will live on the plant, some of them will actually protect the foliage from different diseases. So I have to be careful because we're not an EPA registered pesticide. Got it. But at the same time, where do we get antibiotics? It's microbes fighting microbes. Mm -hmm. It's always a war in the microbial space. And when you get the good ones, the beneficials on the plant, they're going to suppress and exclude the bad ones. And we just see a lot of that in our product. Yeah. Awesome. So, all right. So we touched on trees. Let's talk on, talk about veggies and, and ornamental plants. Cause that's a little bit different in the application. Is it not? It is a little bit different for vegetables. Again, I don't care what it is, the best time is at planting because it's so critical to the life of that plant and its ability to produce the yield you want to get that root mass established quickly. And our product is going to help that with anything that you're planting. Mm -hmm. So we want an application of planting. And if you're direct seeding, then you can just spray it under the ground after you seed. You can wait till it emerges. If you're doing transplants, it's best because you use almost no product. Just dip the roots in a solution of like 1 to 30 dilution and put it in the ground. You'll get the microbes exactly where you want them mm-hmm. on the roots. Right, exactly. Yep. And then depending what you're growing, every four to six weeks, go and hit them again. Now, if you're getting close to harvest, there's no need. Unless, for example, you've got some fruit or, or foliar diseases you're trying to suppress. Mm. And then go ahead and, and hit the foliage. And you, and you can just spray it till it runs off and, and gets into the soil. And you're going to see better taste. That's one thing that, that customers constantly tell us. And they measure the bricks, the sugars and acids, and, the, and they're much higher. Yep. And also better yield. It works on everything. Wow. Because everything needs good roots. Exactly. And how am I going to know it's working? So one, it depends a lot on the plant. So let's go with your ornamentals. If you're growing flowering plants, you should see the flowers be more abundant and last longer. If you're growing grass, you're not going to see it starting to grow a lot faster because then we'd have no customers in lawn and landscape, which is our base business. So we don't create surge growth but we do keep color and drought tolerance. So you don't have to water as much. But if you really want to see, dig some roots up. 
you'll see a dramatic difference. Oh, yeah. And I'll bet you guys have done, at Whole Organics have done that a lot. If you go to our website and just look at, it, at some of the, the, the data that we have, there are lots of pictures that we did not take that customers just send in showing the difference in roots. It's unbelievable. Nice. Nice. And you've become a true believer. I love that. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And it's all organic. So that's Holganics, H-O-L-G-A-N-I-X.com, Holganics.com. Yes, sir. Perfect. And you are offering our listeners a discount. Can you tell us about that? Yes. 15% uh-huh. if you order through our online store and the code is podcast. Nice. So if you want to, you want some, check it out, go to their website and uh, use the promo code podcast. Excellent. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. So there's, there's a number of candidates here that I have to <laughs> give you one. <laughs> yeah, isn't there always? You know, I could talk about professional failure. And since I'm from Monsanto, I think maybe I should. Just okay. so people kind of know some of the, the, the struggles. I have some personal failure, failings too that, that really are up there. I ran our potato business. And the first biotech or, or GMO product that we launched was a potato. And the potato could be grown with less insecticide because it had a gene from a bacteria, BT. And if you use Dipel, that's it. Yep. So it's, it's, it's the protein itself is safe. So unless you're a Colorado potato beetle, which most people aren't, it's perfectly safe. Uh-huh. But the, the potatoes didn't need to be sprayed for potato beetle. And we had a... a a branded product we were selling at retail called the Nature Mark Potato. We put right on the bag, grown through modern biotechnology. GMO wasn't a phrase back then. Uh, grown with less insecticides. And people loved it because it was a good-looking potato. They could touch and feel something that gen- was genetically engineered, which helped to demystify it. But it cost my business a lot of money to do that. And some of the people I worked for at the time thought, you know, is this really needed? And I should have said, yeah, it's really needed. People need to just know that it's not a Franken potato. It's a potato. But I dropped it. And shame on me. Because, you know, we, we had no idea how scary science could be to people. Yeah. We again naive. And we needed to be far more respectful of that. And this was a way of offering choice that I think was respectful because you could choose it or not. And, mm-hmm. and we're, I'm all for that. So we should have kept that going. Yeah. Now, personally, I spent way too much time at work and with my daughters and I ignored my wife and thank God she forgave me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ignore your wife. Yeah, oh, no kidding. So what do you consider your biggest success? So the list is smaller. I think what I get What I'm the most grateful for is I spent all those years at Monsanto. I had a lot of people I worked with and worked for, a lot of outside relationships and customers, and I don't think I made a single enemy. And I've got people telling me I'm the best boss they had. Wow. You know, how you treat people, that's your legacy. I mean, that's so important. It really is. Wow. Congratulations. Well, thanks. I'm I'm, I'm sure it didn't come from me. (laughs) It, it, It was placed in me. And what drives you? I look at people that are, that are in the business, whether it's their pleasure or it's how they make a living of growing things, and all of the new ideas being thrown at them and all of the complaints about, oh, you're killing the planet with this and with that. And so especially for a farmer, it puts them in a real squeeze. And what they need is they need tools that can really help them be more sustainable 
you know, they want the land they leave their kids to be better than than what what they're doing now. But it has to be a tool that's also financially sustainable. Because if you're not in the business, what's the point? So yeah. I want people that are growing things to have tools that really work that cost nothing. And so that's why I'm passionate about Holganics. Every acre on the planet needs microbes. And our product is pretty easy to make and pretty inexpensive. So being, to being able to do that and not worry about patents and value capture and all the things I, I did for years before, ah, oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure <laughs> to, to give back. Nice. Thank you for that. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? So here, I don't, I don't mean to drag this out. So remember... I said I'm a, a molecular biologist, yep. PhD, and I was, was taught Darwinian evolution. I taught it when I would teach classes. I did research on evolutionary relationships and such. And in the 70s and 80s, we didn't know what we didn't know, which is still true today, by the way. Yeah. I started looking at the data more and I thought, I, this doesn't work mathematically what we know now. So I got a book called The Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel, where he interviewed a lot of really good scientists, not just molecular biologists, but physicists and astronomers and such. And it opened my mind that, you know, I shouldn't just believe what I was taught because I was trained better. And to me, to a lot of scientists increasingly, evolution is, just doesn't work. The math doesn't work. I, can, I could just give a whole podcast about why is a molecular biologist species absolutely adapt, but we were, we were not random through evolution. Right. It's, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, there's some, I, I've studied that a little bit, and we could probably do a whole podcast series on that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So what was the name uh, of the book? The Case for a Creator by a man named Lee Strobel. He's an investigative reporter who started off as an atheist and wow. looked at both sides open-minded and changed. You know, that's one of the things I really appreciate about this conversation and about you. You know, you came from one place that was significantly one-sided on the Monsanto side, and you were open-minded enough because before we started recording, you you shared with me that when this friend of yours shared with you Holganics, you thought they were crazy, but you paused long enough to pay attention and you were open to another possibility. And I, I really admire that about you. Well, thank you. I've been wrong too many times not to learn to stop and actually listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So all of you that are listening out there, there is very much wisdom in what you just said. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Yeah, that is my advice. And this is what I would, even when I was at Monsanto and I would give lectures at different universities and in front of different crowds, I would just say, look, think for yourself, whatever you do, there's all kinds of information out there, all kinds of agendas, including my own. Don't believe me, but really stop and look at the data with an open mind and form your own opinion. Don't let it be formed for you because you're really selling yourself short. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, David. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs> right back at you. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? They can email me at dstark, S-T-A-R-K, at holganics.com. Perfect. And holganics.com is the website. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash 
Holganix. That's H-O-L-G-A-N-I-X. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.